This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, I assess the case of Henry Julius Jacobi, an 18-year-old who was sentenced to death for the murder of Lady Alice White, the 65-year-old widow of a prominent gentleman of the town. Here's the thing. Henry Jacobi confessed to the murder very quickly, apparently, after being questioned by the police. Yet at his trial, he pleaded his innocence. The resulting outcome of Henry Jacobi's trial and the aftermath thereafter left a very bitter taste in a lot of people's mouth, including the defence barrister and the jury who tried his case. On the night of the 13th of March 1922, Lady Alice White, a wealthy widow, retired to bed at the Spencer Hotel in Marlebone in London after an evening of car playing. The following morning, March 14th, Lady Alice was discovered by the chambermaid lying in bed, covered in blood. Even though it was clear that she had suffered horrendous injuries, including a fractured skull, she was still alive. As far as the chambermaid and eventually the police could see, there was no obvious signs of forced entry. And so the question was, did Lady Alice know her killer and invited them in, and not suspecting that the evening would end so tragically? Later that day, on the 14th of March, Lady Alice White died from her injuries. As there were no signs of a forced entry and no obvious perpetrator, the police felt they were dealing with a somewhat inexplicable whodunit. But soon the mystery was about to be solved. Henry Julius Jacobi, who worked as a pantry boy at the Spencer Hotel, confessed after being questioned that he had committed the murder. Well, before he confessed to it, he had told the police what he thought could have happened to Lady Alice and thus removing himself from the crime altogether. And in the face of such questioning and dubious reasoning, the police did not believe his take on things, particularly as they believe he had lied about his background and he lied about his mother being a prostitute. But when the police found two bloodstained handkerchiefs on him, his fate was sealed. Henry Jacobi then told the police that he had only intended to steal from the hotel rooms, including that of the wealthy Lady Alice, him being a poor pantry boy and that. 
In addition, he had gone along to carry out these thefts, all tooled up with a hammer, just in case, he said, it became necessary to use it. In the event, when he entered Lady Alice's room, which was unlocked, she awoke and started to scream when she saw him. To stop her from raising the alarm, he struck her with the hammer several times. Thereafter, Henry Jacobi was arrested. He was charged with the murder of Lady Alice White. On the 28th of April 1922, his trial began at the Old Bailey. Apart from his own confession, which is said to have been gained under oppression or by the third degree, there was little evidence to convict him of this murder. Besides which, at the trial, Henry Jacobi denied he had committed murder and pleaded his innocence. But that was to no avail. The jury took four to five minutes to find him guilty. But there was something troubling afoot. The jury made a strong recommendation for mercy to be shown to Henry, especially with him being only 18 years old. And it is believed that they also stated that if they had known that he would hang for this crime, then they would not have returned a guilty verdict for murder. In fact, they, the jury, had wished to return a manslaughter verdict on the basis of what evidence there was. And they were not convinced that Henry Jacobi had intended to kill, but rather he did so in panic when Lady Alice woke to find him in a bedroom and screamed. But the judge, Mr Justice McCarty, wasn't having any of that. The defence barrister, Mr Foy, was under two years' call. So a very junior barrister. Even so, he tried his level best to save the life of his client, Henry Jacobi. But he was no match for Mr McCarty, who gave him a hard time. And so, on the conviction of murder, 18-year-old Henry Julius Jacobi was sentenced to death. The decision, however, resulted in a public outcry. This caused several people to mount a petition for reprieve from the hangman and save his life. Even two members of that same jury who had convicted him also signed the petition. But again, sadly, all to no avail. While awaiting his execution at Pentonville Prison, Henry Jacobi appeared to have no concerns about the fate that loomed large before him. He even played a game of cricket with one of the warders in the exercise yard on the afternoon before the execution day. It is said that on his way to the execution shed, it was very calm. The calmest person there, it was reported. And he even thanked the prison governor and the waiting prison officers for their kindness to him in Penterville. Given his age, was he too young to understand the gravity of the situation? And so, on the 5th of June, 1922, 
Henry Julius Jacobi, a poor pantry boy, the son of a prostitute, was hanged at Pentonville Prison for the murder of a wealthy, well-connected widow with a title, Lady Alice White. Some of those involved in this tragic case were changed forever by this experience. Mr Foy, Henry Jacobi's defence barrister, who did his best to save his life, left the bar. So scarred he was by this experience. He turned his attentions on becoming a solicitor. The hangman, John Ellis, was profoundly affected by Henry Jacobi's sentence, which he carried out by law and profession. He could not get over hanging someone he saw was just a child. Ten years later, he committed suicide. And here is another case involving another Henry, another widow called Annie or Alice, as she's sometimes called, and a hammer used as a murder weapon. On Monday the 3rd of August 1931, 58-year-old Annie Louisa Kempson, a wealthy widow, was found battered to death at her home, The Boundary, at St Clement's in Oxford. She was battered with a hammer and a chisel was pushed through her throat. She was discovered by her brother, who had climbed into the house through an open upstairs window after she had not been seen for days, nor was she answering the door. And neither had she made a planned visit to see a friend in West Hampstead in London. Upon such discovery, the police mounted house-to-house inquiries. At one of these houses, a ten-minute walk away from victim Annie Kempson's house, they met Mrs Andrews. Mrs Andrews felt the need to tell the police about Henry Daniel Seymour, a 39-year-old vacuum cleaner salesman. Henry Seymour was known to Mrs Andrews as she had previously bought a vacuum cleaner from him. But now, out of the blue, Henry Seymour had called on her the day before Mrs Kempson's body was found. He asked to borrow money for his bus fare home to Thame in Oxford. As his was stolen while swimming in the river at Einsham, Mrs Andrews took pitch on him and gave him some money and he was on his way. But soon thereafter, at 10.30 that night, Henry Seymour returned to Mrs. Andrews' home with a tale that he had missed the bus. He asked if he could stay the night. Again, taking pity on him, Mrs. Andrews and her husband allowed him to do so. The next morning, Henry Seymour left the house to go to the barber's and Mrs. Andrews found a brown paper bag he had left in the hallway. She investigated it and in there she saw a new hammer and chisel. Now we know a couple of things. Mrs Andrews' house was a ten-minute walk from the victim's house and we know that the victim was known to Henry Seymour. She had bought a vacuum cleaner from him a few years prior and Mrs Kempson kept Henry Seymour's business card on her mantelpiece which said Tell us, Limited, Mr. Henry Seymour. 
We also know that Mrs. Campson was killed by a hammer and a chisel. So far, on the face of it, it would appear that Henry Seymour was the culprit. It is also believed that he, Henry Seymour, was back in Oxford to check on his customers. During the investigations, police also found an ironmongers nearby who told them of a man who had previously bought a hammer and a chisel. That man fitted the description of Henry Seymour. In addition, meanwhile in Aylesbury, a town not far from Oxford, police acting on a tip-off visited a hotel where the manager told them they had retained a suitcase belonging to Henry Seymour in lieu of payment. When the police opened the suitcase, they found a hammer, which was well scrubbed, and its name brand had been removed. Following on from that, the police discovered Henry Seymour living in Brighton. It was there that he was arrested on the 15th of August 1931 for the murder of Mrs Annie Louisa Kempson. The trial of Henry Seymour began at Oxford Assizes in October 1931. But before that, Oxford's Chief Constable Charles Fox had called in Scotland Yard to help in the hunt for the killer. And once detectives heard that Henry Seymour, a career criminal, was in the area at the material time, he was arrested. The police stopped looking for anyone else. Henry Seymour was made out to be a compulsive liar and a fraudster, so it was easy to point the finger at him. In addition, the murder weapons were never found, and it could not be proved that the hammer and chisel found in Henry Seymour's brown paper bag was indeed them. Furthermore, Numerous witnesses for the defence testified they had seen Mrs. Kempson alive after Henry Seymour had supposedly killed her and left Oxford. And in reality, no one could confirm they saw Henry Seymour at the scene of the crime. On the other hand, there were others who said they saw Henry Seymour on the morning of the murder at the bus stop, where he appeared nervous and agitated so much so that he felt he had to tell them why. In that he had been in a car accident earlier in the year and it had affected his nerves. Neither was his case helped by the fact that he had previous convictions for burglary, robbery, forgery, theft and assault for which he had been previously imprisoned. He carried out a particular nasty assault on a potential customer, a Mrs Gladys Sloman in June 1931 in her own home in Paynton. He broke some of her teeth and wrapped his hands around her throat. As a result of this attack, he was ordered to pay £10 restitution to Mrs Sloman within two months. He had yet to pay even a portion of this £10 within the two months, which by sheer coincidence or not, 
was the day before Mrs. Kempson's murder. At the time of his arrest for the murder of Alice Kempson, he was wanted by the police for stealing 96 pounds from a former employer. So his case, um, his defence, was not looking good. He would come across as a bad character anyhow and capable of committing murder to get what he wanted. The trial of Henry Seymour did not go well. He gave vague and jumbled answers to questions. He claimed he had a disordered brain because of a car accident he'd been in. His claim that he had been robbed whilst he was swimming in the river at Eysham was discredited by the lock keeper. And the final nail in his coffin, so to speak, was that witnesses claimed to have seen a man fitting his description, height and build, entering Mrs. Kempson's home about 10 o'clock on the morning of Saturday, the 1st of August. And his reason for having the hammer and chisel? He wanted to take up a career as a carpenter. Yet among his belongings was an application to be a steward on a ship. Then there was the blood stain found in his coat pocket. That's blood from some meat he had purchased from the butchers, he claimed. It took the jury 40 minutes to find Henry Daniel Seymour guilty of Mrs Annie Alice Louisa Kempson's murder and with that he was sentenced to death which came on the 10th of December 1931 at Oxford Prison. Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us again as we go behind the yellow tape. Till then, catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com and on all podcast platforms. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3am the comedy horror podcast not for the faint or fragile of heart let's go